you know, we came from Hypebeast. So when we first started, it was like 80% men that followed us and 20% women. And we were kind of like, this is not what this platform is meant for. Like, it's just like at the beginning, it was literally a bunch of guys who like wanted to see hot girls in Supreme underwear. Welcome to Wave Social Podcast, powered by Arcade Studios. My name's Mike. I'm here with my co-host, Mitzi. And we've curated a show for digital marketers, advertisers, and modern entrepreneurs who want to stop chasing the tide and start making waves online. Each episode, we'll sit down with the tastemakers and strategic minds behind some of the most engaged communities and up-and-coming brands. We'll pull back the curtain on their strategies and experiences to uncover the methodology behind their seismic impact. Thanks for joining us. Let's dive in. Today on the podcast, we have Rebecca Ho. She'll be talking about her role as a senior social media executive at Hype Bay, which is the female offshoot of Hype Beast. And she's going to be talking about how she built out the social media team there, what it's like to manage a community of one million followers. That's Hello. And she'll also be talking about how she created or helped start the Hype Bay beauty account from scratch, which also got 49,000 followers. And growing quickly. Exactly. Yeah, this was a really good one. Every show so far has been a blast, but it was cool to, I guess, pull back the curtain behind what happens at a publication like Hype Beast and Hype Bay. And specifically what we get into is just what social media looks like around a 24-hour news cycle, Mm -hmm. as opposed to kind of your traditional approach. Yeah, I get tired of posting once a day. I feel like I'm not even doing that. But she and her team had to post six times a day, which is crazy, plus a ton of Insta stories and videos. And Man, imagine how much your account would pop off if you just posted six times a day. Sometimes I sit up awake at night thinking about how much it would pop off if I posted once a day. <laughs> just give the people what they want. <laughs> I, I, I need on. to get better at that. But it's pretty awesome. She obviously has worked with tons of amazing brands at Hype Bay, including Fenty Beauty. Beauty and Nike. She also got retweeted by Kim Kardashian West. Point, point, point. <laughs> yeah, so she's going to be talking about all of that, peeling back the curtain, giving us an inside scoop on what it's like. And it's pretty awesome. So if there's any social media managers out there or any brand builders who are working on any brand in the beauty, fashion, celebrity space, this is the episode for you. Yeah. Although it's really for everybody. I mean, I'm not into any of that, but I was into this. And one of the things that really caught me off guard that I was very interested in was the fact that she got to go to New York and be part of a pitch to Nike. That's that's pretty sick. That's something not a lot of people get to do and thousands of people are dying to do. So she's got a lot of really great insight on that and how to build a community and switch it and kind of stick to your guns. She started a community that was mostly male-focused It was run by men, and then she kind of got to build a team that are all women and who also create content and share content for women, by women. And she also got to crush some beauty norms, which was really awesome. And she talked about how she did that and how she had to stick to her guns. So this is a really great episode. Yeah. For all you people that take negative criticism personally, this one's going to be good for you too. Mm -hmm. Just learning how to sift through the trolls and get to the feedback that's really important for your brand. Ignore the haters. Get those haters out of here. Yeah. Just block them. Block (laughs) them. All right. Well, this is going to be fire. Mm -hmm. And we don't need to keep jibber jabbering. We're just going to get right into it. So without further ado, enjoy the episode. Okay, Rebecca, thank you for being here. We're so excited to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about your career trajectory. Tell us about how you got to where you are now and what that journey has been like so far. Well, I would say I'm quite early in my career. I graduated from university three years ago, so I'm not someone that has a lot of industry experience, but it's definitely been super interesting. I graduated with a major in marketing, minor in creative writing, and during my university time, I did a bunch of internships. Coming Full circle back to this. I worked with you, Mitzi, for a little bit when <laughs> back in the day when Waze was just a social media agency before your merge with Arcade. Yeah, that was so fun. Good old days. <laughs> Good old days. Yeah. That feels like a different lifetime already. I know, it really does. Yeah. Wow. So during that time, I did 
some internships here or there. I was a copywriter for a nail polish company. I worked at Ernest Ice Cream and did some photos for them. I did some stock photography and things like that. And then the biggest shift in my career would definitely be when I got the job at Hype Bay, which was two and a half years ago. I packed up all my stuff, moved to Hong Kong, and was their social media coordinator for a while. Now I'm back in Vancouver, and I work at Glassford & Walker doing digital marketing and social media. For anyone out there who doesn't know, Glassford & Walker is an amazing agency. They do design, branding, pretty much every cool brand that's based out of Vancouver and beyond is worked with Glassford & Walker. So it's a pretty awesome gig, I'd say. I'm curious about the transition into Hype Bay, though. Like, Did you apply for this job or were you headhunted or how did this... I feel like this is a sought after oh, yeah. place it's to work. Oh yeah, it's a premium social media yeah. gig. How did that happen? So I had a friend that worked for Hypebeast already. So he reached out to me because he knew that I was looking for a job. It's honestly a lot of luck because I already had my Hong Kong ID. So for those of you who don't know, if both your parents are born in Hong Kong, when you're a kid, you're eligible to get a Hong Kong ID, which is essentially the same as a PR residence in Hong Kong. And then you can transfer that over as an adult one later on. And that made me eligible to work in Hong Kong without a company needing to sponsor my visa. So I guess I fit the bill of what they were looking for. And I'm a native English speaker. So all of those things made the transition easier for that. Whereas if they were to hire someone from Hong Kong, I guess there's a lot more hoops they have to jump through because a lot of people there are primarily Cantonese speakers. And Hype Bay and Hype Beast is an English site. I guess that's kind of how it happened. It's kind of crazy. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, it always helps to have an in. That's what I always tell people. Like, it's so hard to get someone to pay attention to your resume if you don't know someone who works there. So it's awesome that you had an in there. Yeah, for sure. And can we dig a little bit deeper, even just in that experience of even getting the opportunity? I imagine lots of our listeners are either working hard towards their dream job or applying for it right now, you know, and even starting to imagine what it could look like if they got the offer or they got the call. Yeah. And for you, getting your dream job meant moving around the world to a whole new city, a whole new country, a whole new culture, leaving everything behind, including your boyfriend. That's a big transition. How did you feel? What were the emotions like? What was running through your mind when it happened? My interview process was kind of weird because it was right before Christmas time. So I did these interviews because I was not based in Hong Kong. I did kind of like a two week trial period for them. Then Christmas came and I didn't hear anything for a long time. So I was like, oh, I didn't get the job. I guess I'll just continue to look. And I kind of stopped thinking about it for a while. And then I got the email that was basically like, you have three days to reply. You got the job. You're going to be moving at the end of February. And I was like, what? (laughs) And if you know me at all, I'm very, very much a planner. Josh, my boyfriend, and I, I make like a calendar for us to make sure that we remember all the proper dates. And, you know, like I try not to forget anything. So having that thrown at me like really caught me off guard and because I didn't have that much time to think about it, I was just like, oh, uh, okay, yes, like, yes, uh, sure, I'm moving, I'm doing this. But I think if they gave me a longer period of time to think about it, I probably would have doubted myself and not done it. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, that sounds yeah. wild. And pro tip for the couples out there, especially if you're both entrepreneurs or in any sort of creative industry, that shared calendar is a game changer for oh, yeah. sure. Man, that's the only way we can like get up and actually get anything done. I just like live and breathe by our joint calendar. Yeah. And I get on you if there's if there's stuff in there that you have to go to and it's not in the calendar. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. In the (laughs) doghouse. Real quick. So you were part of the social media team. And a really unique thing about Hype Bay and Hype Beast is that you kind of adhere to a 24 hour news cycle, which is insane. So can you give us a bit of insight on what that actually looks like, how to manage a social media account that adheres to a 24 hour news cycle, multiple time zones? And how often did you post? What was your team like? Give us a rundown. Yeah, so it's really wild when you have to adhere to that because you can't really schedule posts. You can't really plan ahead because you never know when something breaking is going to release. A celebrity getting married or having a baby or whatever. It's definitely a lot of communication, I think, because our social media was so heavily influenced by editorial. We had to pay attention to what was happening on editorial, communicate, 
plan ahead. If we were doing a shoot with someone, we had to make sure the editor who's in charge of it is also getting social content. Yeah, like every opportunity, you kind of have to stick your nose in someone else's business and be like, hey, like, remember, we're here too. We need this, this, and this for that. Or how do we translate social media content into editorial content? And like that kind of back and forth and working together. So yeah, it was kind of crazy because we would post like 10 to 20 posts a day on Instagram, which is wild. And obviously it wasn't all just me. It was a lot of working with people in different time zones and kind of figuring out a schedule for that. I think I was really lucky because we had a team of all girls and for the most part, we got along. It's really great working with people who really support each other and you know, if you have an idea, someone, even if it's not an idea that suits the brand, someone will be like, okay, like, how can we angle this a different way? So it does suit the brand? Or how do we make this work? There'll be someone who will have an idea. And sometimes we'll put the time into making that idea come to life. And it just won't work at all. And no one is like, oh, I wasted my time or whatever. And it's really great working with people like that. I'm curious. I think most of our listeners will know the difference between editorial and social content. But for those who don't, can you just give a bit of an explanation around what makes those different from each other? Editorial content more or less is just blog content or original styled editorial. So like photo shoots, if we interview someone, the interview that lives on the site, or if we shoot a video, that type of thing. And the social content is how we translate it into Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, etc. Cool. And then when those two work together, is the goal of your social media platforms to drive traffic to the blog posts? Definitely. I think those are main goals to obviously drive traffic traffic to the site. But then also, there's kind of the flip side of things where we did a lot of reposting. So we'll find girls with cool outfits or for Pipe Beauty, like cool makeup looks or whatever. And it works the other way around where that kind of informs the kind of editorials that we'll produce because they'll be like, oh, like this trend is really popular. We should write an article about that. And yeah, it works both ways. So you kind of had to be like a trend hunter, kind of. Yeah. Like, what are the cool girls doing in terms of makeup and should we be talking about it? Yes. Fun. Yeah, that's, that's like awesome. a dream job. You, you mentioned Hype Bay Beauty, and I know that's a separate account. Were you involved in managing both or were you specifically on Hype Bay and there's a separate team for Hype Bay Beauty or what did that look like? Uh, yeah, I managed both. I was one of the people that helped start Hype Bay Beauty. Well, at the time, I was the only social person for both. Wow. So it was kind of tough. And then we hired more people and obviously that made life a lot easier. Everyone kind of worked on everything at the same time. One thing that's really unique about your role, kind of managing the front lines or delivering news around like fashion or beauty, you are kind of the first point of reference for people. A lot of people, especially if they're getting their news on social media, like are on Instagram. Did you ever feel like a responsibility to make sure that the content and the images that you're sourcing or that you're curating, that they're inclusive and diverse because you are one of the brands that is breaking news? Yeah, for sure. I think at the beginning, when I started on Hype Bay, I was so focused on getting people at work to like me and get the numbers up and that sort of thing that it it was really easy just to turn off my brain and be like, hey, like, these are the girls that do well, so I'll just keep reposting them. Or like, this is the type of image that does well, so I'll keep reposting this. And it wasn't just me, but I felt like collectively, as a team, we decided that we really needed to value diversity. And I think it's so much different than the way that diversity is trending now. Because obviously before, Mm -hmm. it was like, super, super skinny girls were in. And then now, like, girls with Kim Kardashian bodies are in. But if you only follow trends, like you're not really being diverse. And I think there was kind of a switch in the way that we did things because we decided that we were just going to feature girls with good style. There was one time I posted a photo of a girl and so many people in the comments were like, her legs aren't shaved. Like, why does she have hairy legs? Blah, 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 blah. To be honest, didn't even notice because I was too busy looking at her outfit and being like, wow, like what a great outfit. And I think that's the right way to approach things that if like diversity will naturally come if you're only looking for like good style, for example, Mm -hmm. or cool makeup looks. There's tons of people out there who are doing these things. But the way that it doesn't come naturally is the way that algorithms work. It's always the most popular things that rise to the top. And you have to really dig into people's feed and like dig into hashtags and like really be on the lookout for girls or people or whatever that aren't really getting recognized and bring those people up Mm -hmm. to the top. That only happens if you decide that it's something valuable to you. It's not going to be something that, oh yeah, like it'll just happen if we come across it or whatever. Like you actually have to work hard to look for those things. 
When it comes to influencer marketing, there's a podcast that covers it all that you will want to add to your playlist. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. They talk about influencer marketing, social media, the creator economy, social commerce, and much, much more. They cover all aspects, including the creator economy, social commerce, the latest trends, the metaverse, TikTok trends, and that's just the beginning. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. Add the podcast to your playlist right now. Right. It's not like you have to be intentional about it. And do you think that your entire team, I find that if you're trying to make sure that, you know, things are inclusive and that you're representing everyone as much as you can and you're trying to look for girls that have a different look or who are challenging beauty norms, it really does have to be like a shared commitment. Did you ever have challenges with that? Making sure that the rest of your team shared that commitment or was that a pretty standard thing that everyone wanted to adhere to? Yeah, I feel like within my team for sure, I can't say for the entire company as a whole. And of course, when you look at Hype Bay, it's not like the most diverse feed out there. Obviously, everybody can do better on that front. But for the most part, everyone was really supportive of it. So you spend a lot of time obviously looking for the tastemakers and people with good style and stuff like that. Obviously, more from this perspective of wanting to share their content on Hype Bay. But for the people out there that are even just looking for interesting people to follow or be inspired by or draw like style tips from, what were some of the ways that you discovered these people? It's a lot of creeping, man. Like, like it's just <laughs> looking at girls that we post and then looking at who they're friends with, going into hashtags. It's just like a lot, a lot of scrolling. A lot of these people have like 200 followers. Like they're literally people who aren't making a dent on the internet at all, but You know, you just got to creep. You got to just like dive into that rabbit hole and find these people. That's cool. So even it was almost like inclusive, even in the sense of they didn't have to have a following necessarily, but it was literally just about what kind of looks they were putting together or how they dressed or their taste. Yeah. That's cool. Okay. Okay. So you were obviously managing Instagram as the main platform. Was there any other platforms that you guys were like really paid attention to? Or did you have, was it an Instagram first focus and then everything else kind of reflected what you posted there? Yeah. So we also did Facebook and Twitter. I found that each platform kind of served its own purpose. Like obviously Instagram was our biggest following, our biggest influence, informed a lot of the way that we do things in our editorial direction. But also Facebook was our biggest source of link clicks, which is kind of crazy because I don't use Facebook anymore. Almost all our link clicks came from that. I mean, before like IG stories became a big thing. I think it's still Facebook and then IG stories is after that. But and then Twitter kind of has this crazy universe of its own where certain content will just blow up and it'll be like our Mm. top trending posts of the month. It's kind of hard to tell when that's going to happen. A big trend for us for like the past year has been K-pop. Like anything K-pop that we posted would just go viral on Twitter, which is insane and not something that you would think of, but just things like that. Or like we would post a photo of Kaylee Baldwin and she would get or like retweet it and that would go crazy because obviously they're a celebrity. So yeah, you just never know about Twitter. It's so unpredictable, but it also served its own purpose and kind of reaching these communities that we may not have had access to like on Facebook and Instagram. That's crazy. So with Twitter being so different, was the content that you were sharing there quite different with that in mind? Or was it just that like you'd share something on Instagram and then you'd also put it on Twitter and then it would just go kind of viral on Twitter and be normal on Instagram? It depended on what it was. I found that the things that would go more viral are more our blog posts. So if we posted like an outfit photo, for example, if we posted to Instagram, it would blow up. And then on Twitter, it would do okay, or like maybe not get that much engagement. But then if we like posted an interview with a celebrity, and on Instagram, it does okay, it might blow up on Twitter. So it just depends. Mm, Like it's a lot of tagging and trying to make sure the right people see it. And yeah, I guess you mentioned that it was kind of hard to know when that would happen. But you mentioned like K-pop was one example that was more commonly popping off. And then I guess Can you allude to any other things that you learned as far as like how you could anticipate which pieces would be more popular on Twitter, for example, for our listeners? Or is it just kind of, it's really just random? Yeah, it is kind of random. I found that maybe pieces that were like more funny. I did a piece that was kind of gross, actually. 10 like 
bubble tea <laughs> food trends that you can try. And it was things like bubble tea pizza and like super gross. But yeah, yeah wow. things like that would like do weirdly well because I think people on Twitter like things like that. They like bubble <laughs> They're tea just pizza. weird. They have weird tastes. That's the key takeaway here. So all the cool girls are on Instagram and all the weird people are on Twitter. <laughs> is that what you're saying? Yeah, I feel like Twitter is where all the people put like the dark side of their humor. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. where your dark side of your humor lives. I just need to be better at Twitter in general. Yeah. Okay. One thing you mentioned was IG story. How do you react and respond? Like Instagram, I feel like just suddenly like drops a brand new feature and everyone has to change their strategy. And when IGTV dropped, everyone's like, okay, are we YouTubers now? Like, how are we going to meet this demand? Or like, are we even going to go for this new feature? Should we, should we not? Were you around pre IG story? Or was there another feature that came out while you worked there? And how did you like react and adapt and adopt that into your strategy? I think IG stories were already in place when I started. The new thing was IGTV. And yeah, it was kind of mm. just like, uh, like, what do we do with this? <laughs> Honestly, I think for us, it was whatever it is, just try it. So that was kind right. of a good way to go about things. Like we tried a few things on IGTV. Some worked well, some didn't. A lot of celebrity content did well on IGTV. I mean, celebrity content just does well in general. Yeah, um, right. Yeah, it's like really interesting seeing what works and what doesn't. And I think that's a cool thing about social media is like it's so reactionary. So if something doesn't do well, you know right away that it's not doing well. And you're like, oh, okay, so... It's a cool place to test things out. And especially with IG stories, like I think for a while we didn't know what to do with it either. It was just like, cool, so we'll put our articles here and then hope people will swipe up. But then as they introduce more features, like the feature where you can ask questions or like vote on different stuff, like we were able to create content around that. Especially for Hype Bay Beauty, we did a lot of inviting dermatologists to answer questions for people and doing Q&As and that type of thing. And like, you know, it evolves and then you find a way to use it over time. Speaking of celebrities, okay, you mentioned that Hailey Bieber retweeted you. Was there ever like a celebrity mention or retweet or like or share that your team just like kind of freaked out over? Um, Kim Kardashian retweeted something and that just like went wild. Yeah, I think it was like an email (laughs) interview with her about her Kimoji stuff. Like, who knows if it was even her that was answering the questions. Like, it could have been her assistant being like, hello, I'm Kim Kardashian West and whatever. But yeah, we posted that and then she retweeted it. So that was crazy. We did an interview with Billie Eilish and she retweeted that as well. I mean, I feel like in general, if you get an opportunity with a celebrity and they promote it, it's insane. Yeah, and I feel like celebrities get talked about a lot and it's rare that they would promote it. If they did promote it, it means they're like proud of it, you know? Also, you, okay, Hype Bay has 1 million followers, which is crazy. What is it like to engage with a community of that size? Did you guys respond to DMs? Like, were you guys just muting all your notifications? That must be really noisy. I mean, as a rule of thumb, Hype Bay doesn't really community manage. We kind of follow the Hype Beast model when it comes to that because, like, their thing is, like, they just let people, like, duke it out in the comments. If you go to the comment section of, like, any Hype Beast article or, like, any Hype Beast photo or whatever, it's always just people, like, yelling at each other in the comments. And with Hype Bay, it's not like that. Like, it's a much more tame. People aren't really fighting, but we kind of follow that model of kind of trying to be, like, a little bit more mysterious and anonymous. But I definitely read, I think people think that oh yeah they don't just they don't respond to anything like they don't read anything but I was reading everything like every dm every comment and like I would just kind of give that feedback back to the editorial team if there was anything that somebody pointed out or like like we had an issue not anymore but a long long time ago where we did a shoot with someone who was not black with braids and like people were not happy Mm. with that and taking that feedback and being like hey people didn't like this like this is a problem so Mm -hmm. and then since then we've never done it again and so you kind of learn and you grow from that but we didn't really engage with people it's really different because right now so I have a client now that really really wants to respond to every single message so you become kind of like a glorified customer service person and it's kind of interesting and I'm like wow like all my years working in food working in retail has really prepared me for this to have like all these angry people DMing us about things, but it just depends on which brand and which platform, I guess, that you're using. I'm curious, since you were reading, like, I'm surprised to hear that you were reading all these comments and DMs with that many followers in a community of that size. But I'm curious, you must have learned something through that of how to weed through the stuff that's just trolls and how to kind of filter out 
what the good feedback is that you can pass on to your team or even like adapt the way that you're approaching social. Can you expand on that or give us a, a few insider tips on how you navigated that? Yeah, a lot of the spam is like, hey, I made I made an album, I made a mixtape, come, right. come to my profile or whatever. Yeah. I think you just learn to like sift through it really easily. Like two or three words in, you can already tell whether something's useful or not. I'm already a fast reader, so I could sift through those things really quickly. I guess that's pretty much it. And then also if people feel particularly passionate, they'll DM. Like they won't just comment, they'll right. also DM. So I find that, I mean, once you weed through all the spam that comes to your DMs as well, like usually that's super valuable as well, because that's where the people who really are passionate are going to go. Did you find that it would mostly be people making statements or like comments on how it should be different or better or how they disagree? Or did you have people like asking questions and stuff too? We sometimes have people asking questions. They're not usually questions directed at us. Sometimes it would be like a girl wearing a pair of shoes and be like, what shoes are those or whatever. But like, I found that it was okay. quite like self-moderating. Like someone would be like, oh, the, the Nike mm. 97s or whatever. And I would say most of it is just people tagging each other and being like, hey, look at this. Like, hey, I think you would like this or right. whatever. So that in itself is already great feedback, seeing that people want yeah. to share what they're seeing. So it's definitely a good sign when you tag or you see people tagging their friends, they yeah. see it. Like, I feel like that was the direct message kind of mm -hmm. era. But I feel like I've done that a lot on Hype Bay and Hype Beauty. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> how did it change once likes went away? Did it change how you monitored engagement and like what was successful content? Or even content? like reported success? That didn't happen while I was in Hong Kong. I don't know if it's global now or if it's just Canada. But the entire time I was in Hong Kong, we didn't have that. Okay, so how did you measure success for the content that you're sharing? Obviously, things are changing now. But during your time there, was it kind of the typical stuff like likes and comments and DMs and things like that? Or what were your KPIs internally? Yeah, I would say engagement was a big one, especially for Instagram, like your most liked photo of the week, because we would do weekly reporting. So it was quite it would just be like, here's like the top photo of every week that was really important to us and then obviously click throughs as well like what's actually getting the clicks and like what are people I guess like what are people actioning on was a big one and if we would do like the ask me anything or like the question box or whatever it would also be like how many people are actually submitting questions to this person do they actually care whether this person has the answers to their questions and stuff like that so and then that would kind of inform the way that we do content one thing that we would always be testing is things like relationship and sex advice so those ask me anything type of questions would get so much response. Like people would always be asking all these questions and we'd be like, oh, this is actually something that people are really interested in. So, you know, we started doing more of that content later. When you were talking about click-throughs being kind of one of your KPIs, it, it made me think of even paid social. Like, did you guys dabble much in paid social beyond micro boosting or did you even do strategic boosting or was it all literally just organic because of the following that you have? We pretty much only did boosting on Facebook because that was okay. the biggest source of clicks for us. And then mm -hmm. we would like dabble with Instagram boosting here or there, but we never like put a lot of money into it. Yeah, mostly just Facebook. And when we'd see a post is doing well, then we give it a boost. And then I wasn't too involved in that because we had a separate team to handle boosting for us. So it would just kind of be like, hey, this is doing well. And they'd be like, cool. And then they'll take it and do their thing with it. If you're a podcast host or someone wanting to be interviewed on podcasts as a guest, visit podmatch.com. Podmatch automatically connects ideal podcast guests and hosts together for interviews. We always say it works just like a dating app, but instead of connecting you for dates, it connects you for podcast interviews. Podmatch has connected over 85,000 guests and hosts together for interviews that listeners love, all while saving you countless hours of administrative work through built-in automations. If you're ready to level up your podcast interviews on either side of the mic, start today by visiting podmatch.com. Okay, so you'd kind of let it play out for a bit organically and then just based on the early results, then you might invest a little bit of money into it to push it further. And then you didn't really do campaigns, like actual ad campaigns. It was always just a little bit of boosting here and there. I know there was some... Again, we had like a different team to do that. Right, like, okay. So they would do newsletter campaigns to try to get people to sign up for our newsletters and different kinds of things, but we weren't really involved in that. So you've gotten the chance to work with some pretty big brands such as Fenty Beauty and Nike. What are some of the most memorable content opportunities that you've gotten to be a part of? 
You make it sound so much more glamorous than it actually is. Really? <laughs> like, <wow>. It's cool. <laughs> I mean, I think it's yeah. sweet. Yeah, well, even pull back the curtain and tell us how unglamorous it yeah. is. You know, like we want to know what it really looks like to work with brands like this. A lot of it is super fun. Like you go to events and you meet people, but then some of it is honestly just like, we'll write Nike an email and be like, hey, can we borrow this shoe? And then it's just literally me and an editor one person's on the ground unboxing it. It's cool, but it's also like they just literally sent us the shoe and we unboxed it and then we sent it back. That's kind of encouraging though for like the content creators out there. You don't need this like crazy full-on production. You can literally just have someone sitting on a floor unboxing a shoe and that's content that people want to engage with. Yeah, and I think that really worked well for us because I think our following wanted to see that kind of more like IRL like not super mm-hmm. high production Unpolished, stuff. yeah. But yeah, I guess like other opportunities that I got, I mean, the most amazing one was definitely when I got to go to New York Fashion Week, which is not a thing that people who do not live in New York usually get to do, at least in our team. Totally. So I was just super lucky because it just so happened that our sales team needed help pitching to Nike in New York. So they needed someone who knew like the numbers, especially for social. So they sent me to go push a Nike and it just so happened to be during New York Fashion Week. So I got to go for like half of it and experience that life. It was like really crazy. I couldn't have ever imagined that I'd be doing that. And it's also, like I said, not super common for a company to do that. So yeah, super lucky to do that and hang out in New York during Fashion Week. Lots of questions out of that. Yeah. (laughs) As soon as you started talking about that, we're like, okay, casual. Because (laughs) you're just like, oh, I just randomly got chosen to go pitch to Nike as if it's another Tuesday, which for some people is. But for a lot of our listeners, that's a really cool opportunity and experience that many people dream of pitching, you know? So you're going to have to walk us through that. <laughs> what was that like? What were you pitching? What kind of numbers mattered to Nike? How many people were in the room? What kind of room was it? <laughs> yeah, you know, give like... us the full picture. I, mean, I don't know how much I'm allowed to say because I don't actually oh, know yeah. what happened with that project. Like I went and pitched and then I left. Like That was my involvement right. in it. So for us, the way that we operate is we have a separate sales team. So all our advertising, all our paid opportunities go through them. So we actually didn't like as an editorial and social team like we don't have too much say in what happens it is obviously collaborative and they're like hey can we do this and we're like yes that'd be good or no that doesn't suit us at all it was kind of a unique opportunity because nike in particular wanted to figure out how to market to women and that was a big selling point of hype bay where you know we came from hype so when we first started it was like 80 percent men that followed us and 20% women and we were kind of like this is not what this platform is meant for like it's just at the beginning it was literally a bunch of guys who like wanted to see hot girls in supreme underwear and like <laughs> wow. that's like that's if amazing. you look at the feed now like that's not what we do and that's not what we're totally. for so kind of yeah rebranding that and turning that whole thing around and now it's like flipped to be 80% women and 20% men and like those are the kinds of numbers that they were interested in how did you do that like what was that process like that's kind of more or less what I was there for and then yeah so I worked with a sales team like put together a presentation it was really stressful because I literally landed in New York two days before the presentation had a day to put it together and then Went, pitched to Nike, and then I was done with that. I don't know what happened with that. And then I got to extend my stay to stay in New York for a little bit. And then we had just hired a new social person in New York. So I got to train her and meet her face-to-face, which is also really rare for us because, you know, usually you'd be training this person online, which sucks. Right. (laughs) And so that Mm -hmm. was really cool. That's awesome. Okay, so going back to the Nike thing, when they're asking you, how did you, you know, transition from a mostly male audience to a female audience. Can you give us some nuggets of wisdom there? Honestly, it's ignoring the comments. It would just like all these people wow. would comment and be like, why are you posting this? If we post someone plus side, they'd be like, why? Like this girl is so fat. Like what? You know what I mean? All these comments. Mm-hmm. And like, I think it's human nature to just be like, oh no, like, okay, like we can't post these things anymore because, you know, it's going to garner all this negative whatever. But then eventually those people will unfollow you when they realize that I'm not the audience for this. So you kind of just have to stay true to what you do and like uplift the people who are part of the vision that you have. Block out the haters or whatever (laughs) that means. 
Right. Like know your strategy and believe in it. Even if some of the initial response is negative, that just tells you that that's not your audience. That's really cool. I think a lot of people that are listening to this probably need to hear that. Totally. Especially as like come up brands or new direct to consumer products or things like that. I think it would be easy to just have knee jerk reactions to comments or how initial feedback that you're getting. But that's cool. Uh, What was your favorite designer to see in New York at, at Fashion Week? Or what was the highlight of your experience on that side? So Mansur Gabrielle didn't do like a proper show the the season that I went. They just kind of had a showroom. They're one of my favorite brands. They do like beautiful everything, but like especially bags and shoes and stuff like that. Yeah, they had like a more unique experience because they had like, they basically took over this entire space and set up a concept store and all the models instead of walking on a runway were just hanging out. And it was just like really cute. Like it was winter in New York, but it was sunny outside for some reason. And there was all this light coming in and the models are just like chatting to each other, like laughing, hanging out. And it just seemed like everyone was having a good time. So I really love that. That's awesome. That's cool. Even just that designers are taking a different spin or angle on fashion week, you know, and creating unique experiences like that. That's awesome. Where do you want to go next, Missy? Let's talk about your team. So you mentioned that you don't usually get the opportunity to train your team in person. Can you talk to me about your team? I know that you have people in multiple cities. What was it like to work with a remote team that spreads so far around the world? Yeah, it's definitely crazy. As a team, we kind of had to reformat the way that we did things. We used to have these huge editorial meetings where like every single person would talk about what they're working on and like when you go to a team that's over 10 people, you just can't do that. Like, it's impossible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So kind of like learning how to reformat our meetings. So like the top level stuff gets talked about and then like having smaller meetings. So like I would have a social meeting and then email everybody about what our social meeting was about instead of like inviting everyone to come to our meeting. When I first moved back to Vancouver, I was still working for Hype Bay a little bit. I was doing a remote position. So we would have kind of like North American meetings and like talk about what we're working on like within North America. And then sometimes UK would join and then we send an email out being like, here's all the things. And then Hong Kong would have their own meeting and then send over all the things they're working on. So kind of like developing schedules for everyone and like just making sure everyone is in the loop is really important. Training was insane. I basically, there was like a few days there that I stayed at work till like nine or 10 o'clock, just like making our training manual and like making sure that this one PDF file has every single thing that you need to know about running social for Hype Bay. And that's kind of the only way to do it is just do that, send it over and then hope the manager on the other end and like have trust in the manager and the other end, even if they're not a social manager, can like walk the other person through this thing you created. So it's just like having a lot of trust in people. Yeah. So obviously building a team where you trust each other takes time. But what are some of the must have skills that you think everyone on your team really needs to have in order to be successful and to work together and get stuff done? And any advice for people who are wanting to kind of break into this industry or who want to start a career in social media or who one day aspire to work for a company like Hype Beast or Hype Bay? Can you give us any tips for that? In my personal experience, being a jack of all trades is really good. Like I think I was always that growing up. I was this weird hybrid of like I was creative, but I was never like an artist. And, you know, I would get A's in calculus and math, but I didn't really consider myself someone who was super, super book smart. And I think that played well into my career later where I had to do everything. Like I had to shoot photos, I had to write copy, I had to do all the reporting. And I had to be flexible. And I think that's super Mm. key is like you have to be flexible and you have to just be willing to do everything. And I think a lot of the times the people that don't do well are people that are really structured. And they're like, this is the way that I do things. This is the way that I write. This is the way that I blah, 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 etc. And they're just not able to break that structure and they're not able to be flexible. Mm -hmm. And that's when it's difficult to work with that person in a social media setting. Yeah, that is really good advice. I feel like the people who are flexible and even if they don't know how to do something are like willing to learn or willing to like find resources to help them do it. I think those make the best team players. I had to do video editing for my job and I didn't know how to do that at all before I started. And I literally just like YouTubed how to use iMovie and then the company got 
Final Cut for me, and I YouTubed how to do that as well. And like, I would say that I'm still super Crazy. mediocre at video, but sometimes that's all you need is just like a simple video. Like, you don't really need anything fancy. And you can YouTube anything these days. You can YouTube how to deliver a baby. <laughs> Tangent. <laughs> well, you can. Like, literally everything. We live in such a crazy information age. Like, we have access to literally all knowledge that we'd ever need at our fingertips. I feel like no one has an excuse. If they want to do something, they can learn how to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Your next baby, that's what Mike's going to do. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> it's a ways away anyway. Yeah. So, like, I'm just thinking about how stressful this sounds. Were you stressed? in this type of role and like working with a remote team and being on a 24-hour news cycle and having to learn how to video edit on the fly, you know, like, or was it just all chill? I would say it was very up and down. Sometimes they'd be like, hey, can you uh, shoot and edit this video? And I'm like, what? Like, and then I just have to spend all my time learning how to do that. And the other times it's like, oh, okay, like I already know how to do this. It's not repetitive, but there are periods of time where you just like know how to do things and you go with the flow and then something new will pop up and then it'll be stressful. But yeah, it definitely has its ups and downs. So kind of like even learning just how to be comfortable in tension. Because I feel like earlier in the show, you said that you're a planner and then mm-hmm. you're talking about how like you kind of got to be a jack of all trades and literally just kind of fly by the seat of your pants and figure it out as you go. So that in and itself is basically a tension. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's a characteristic that not a lot of people have. And that's grit, you know, like just mm. being able to take on a challenge, get through it, you know, do your very best and give it your all and move on. Yeah, for sure. Did you find that the other people on this growing social team ended up being like that? Or was it quite a mix of dynamics, like different personalities? Some people would get stressed out while the others just like kept everyone steady? Or what was that dynamic like? Yeah, I think everyone was pretty good. Like there wasn't anyone... Like I think everyone at the beginning freaks out. I think that's what it is. Or like yeah. everybody, right. no matter how experienced you are or like you're a fresh grad or whatever, will be like, what the heck is this? <laughs> I didn't know I had to do all these things. And then eventually everybody gets into it. And then also the great thing about having a bigger team is you kind of see where people fit in. So like one person might be better at doing video content or like editing IG stories to look super interactive and cool. And like that person can kind of own that and do more of that. So there isn't, you know, it's not like it was when I first started where it's like, cool, I do everything. (laughs) The nice thing about having a team is like, okay, like, you know what you're good at and you know what you like to do. So we'll kind of try to split the work that way. Yeah, you play to each other's strengths. Nice. Okay. So for any brand builders out there, what is the best way for them to build hype on social media and what's the wrong ways? And can you give us any do's and don'ts? I would say for do's, two main things. The first thing is that nobody knows anything. I think you would think something's working and it'll work for a while and then it's going to stop working and they need to figure out something new. So like, don't ever feel like you know everything. The second thing is just to have a good balance between your brand strategy and what people are asking for. I think we kind of touched a bit on this earlier, but kind of like where your most valuable content is, is kind of in the middle of that. Obviously you have to stick to your guns and be like, this is our brand, this is our story. But if people are asking for something different, you can't just stick to that because no one's going to want to listen to what you have to say if you're not kind of having a conversation with other people. And the other end of that is like, you can't just do what people say. and You can't just listen to them. Right. So kind of finding that good medium. I'd say for don'ts, I don't have a ton of don'ts because like, I really believe in trying everything. But I think the main mm-hmm. thing is don't mix up personal story and brand story. I think There's a misconception of, oh, if someone has a large personal Instagram following, they're good at social media. That might be true or it might not be true. But sometimes people who have a really large following on the internet are people who are really good at telling their own story. And that's great for them. And that's Mm -hmm. great for what they do. And, you know, a lot of people make a living off of just being on Instagram or YouTube or whatever. But then if you bring that into a brand or a client or whatever, it doesn't always translate. Yeah, I would say that's like the main thing, just like not mix those two things up. So uh, I'm just curious what the gap is between telling a personal story and a brand story. You know, like I think lots of our listeners are likely good at telling their personal story. They maybe have well-established Instagram accounts, but they might want to work at a brand or a company or be part of a social team somewhere else. So 
what would the perspective shift be that they need to make in order to be good at that as well instead of falling short? Yeah, I think a lot of it is learning how to write in someone else's voice and learning how to create content from someone else's lens and someone else's perspective. Because I think for a lot of us, you know, we know what our opinions are and, and the way that we see the world and the way that we want our photos to look. And sometimes it's hard to take ourselves out of that when you're so used to doing things one way. And, you know, like, for example, I work at an agency, so I'm not only doing that for one brand like I did for Hype I'm doing that for multiple brands. So kind of putting myself in each of these brands' shoes and being like, okay, like how do they want to place themselves in the market that differentiates themselves from everybody else in their industry? Having that mindset instead of being, oh, like how do I get my personality across? Right. Or these are the photos I like, so this should be on this brand's social media. Yeah, like, or I would do this, or I would respond in this way if it were me, or whatever. And that's not necessarily the right call for all brands. Right. You kind of have to take yourself out of the equation. I think that's really good insight. I'm even just processing it right now. But I agree, even being part of an agency on our end and the different types of clients that we work with, how different it is. And even not just being able to speak in different tones of voice, but even being able to think the way that that brand persona might think, you know, as far as even community management and stuff after you kind of share the story side of things and where the conversation goes after that. That's really interesting. Totally. Also, another kind of like follow-up questions for brand builders out there. Do you have any tips for how to grow your Instagram account to 1 million followers? <laughs> or even 10,000? Yeah, 10,000 is great. I mean, Hype was definitely a team effort. It wasn't just me doing things. Also, it's the editorial team creating right, content. Okay. So it's not it, like it's never just one person. How did you do it, Rebecca? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tell us the secret. I would say, honestly, the main thing is engagement and engaging with the community. Huh. Like even for my own personal account, it was literally just me liking random strangers photos for a long time and hoping that they'll follow me back. Crazy. Obviously, for Hype Bay, that looked a little bit different because we weren't going around liking people's photos or commenting or whatever. But it was a lot of reposting. That's a big way to build a community is like when we repost something we have to email them and be like hey like can we use your photo blah 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 and like that's making a connection right there because you can have really really mm. great content you can have beautiful photos the best videos or whatever but if you're not connecting with people like that's why people are on social media like they want to feel engaged and yeah like you have to be the first person to make a move and usually that person will follow you back or if you repost something that person shares like hey guys look hype bay reposted my photo or whatever, then like all their followers will go to your account. And that's how like takeovers and stuff works really well. That's some great tips. I remember way back in the day when I noticed that you got like a few thousand extra followers, I feel like I messaged you or I DM'd you and I was like, how did you do it? And you're like, honestly, I spent a lot of time in the explore yeah. page. <laughs> and I was like, okay, okay. Yeah, I just create. That's all I do. <laughs> Professional creeper. Yeah, it sounds like you're good at it. For awesome. Sure. Okay, so we just have uh, two final questions here. One question that we ask all of our guests, what are some brands that you're following that you'd say are making waves on social media right now? One brand that I really like is Chipotle. <laughs> nice. Okay. Haven't heard that yet. They're basically a meme page, which I think is just hilarious <laughs> for a brand like that. And then their Twitter is also really random and funny. But if you're not into memes... I like brands like Glossier and Curology for skincare and makeup. I think they do a really good job of not only producing really great original content, but they also use user-generated content really well. And they also throw in some funny content that's like witty and, you know, photos of dogs and stuff like that. So kind of like the perfect balance of everything. That's quite the spectrum between Chipotle all the way over to Glossier, but I like it. I'm curious, just hovering around Chipotle for a little bit, because you mentioned that their core content is humor, and I like that. And I feel like most of the brands right now that I'm engaging with are sharing stuff that's funny, and I love it. But I'm just curious, we've been having kind of a conversation on the side for one of our clients they're considering involving or injecting more humorous content into their mix. But we're kind of hesitant because we wonder if that's like more like cheap engagement or shallow in a sense, because for the risk of not actually driving sales or brand growth, but just having kind of that quick and dirty engagement because it's just funny off the cuff. What, what are your thoughts on that? With Chipotle specifically as an example, I think the way that they do it is like their main account is like a meme page. And then 
they have regional specific accounts for their actual product photography. So they kind of have a good mix of both. Like they're not only a meme page. So I think that's kind of going back to why like Glossier and Corology is like they have a good balance. So like they have their product Mm -hmm. photography, which is this is what our product does. These are the benefits, blah, 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 blah. And then they have user generated content, which is basically testimonials. And then they have cute little dog photos. They'll screenshot tweets that people say about Glossier and stuff. And I think a good balance of everything is really valuable because you're not just like getting bombarded with beautiful images all the time. Like no one wants to see that anymore. Totally. You scroll down your feed and you see six influencers in a row that have like perfectly photoshopped images. If you have one brand that has like a funny thing pop up, like that's going to stick out. Yeah. Do you think this is kind of like a tangent, but like, do you think that people, those curated, beautiful, high production, glossy photos are even that valuable on social media anymore? Like I kind of find that you can find them in any niche and there's a ton of photographers who are really talented, but can do kind of like similar stuff. So like to me, it doesn't really stop my scroll. I can kind of just like glaze over and it's sad because I know the work that goes into that and how much talent that photographer has what do you think do you think there's still a place for those kind of images or are we like all just interested in engaging with memes now i think it's a little bit of both i think memes have their place and those like really really beautiful photos have their place because obviously those photos are still getting a lot of likes and people are still engaging with them and people still like them so i don't think we're at a point right now where people are like super super tired of that But I think people are just diversifying. It's not that this is no longer a useful or valuable thing. It's like people just want to see other things as well. Our last sort of question, but also just your opportunity for any final comments. But tell us what you're currently working on and where listeners can connect with you. Yeah, I mean, currently, I just started a new job at Glassford & Walker. They do a lot of great work. I love working for them. So go check them out if you're interested. Shout out to Phoebe. Shout out to Phoebe and Erin. Yeah, they do a lot of great work. So Make sure to check them out. You can follow me at Rebecca.ho, R-E-B-E-K-A-H dot H-O on Instagram. Awesome. Amazing. And even just for Glassford and Walker and the work you're doing there, what kind of brands do you work with? Who should come to you for the services that you guys are offering? We work with a ton of different types of brands. I think mainly, I mean, they're kind of known around Vancouver as doing a lot of restaurant and bar branding, um, but we have other clients like we have like yoga studios cannabis brands fashion brands skincare brands brands that make eco-friendly house cleaners so yeah like they just they do everything well if you want cool stuff go to glassford and walker nice well thanks so much rebecca i think that's a wrap from us this episode of wave social podcast is powered by arcade studios Show notes for this episode and other episodes can be found at wavesocialpodcast.com. You can also subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you've got questions, comments, or suggestions for future shows, hit us up at wavesocial on Instagram. Thanks for joining us.